what is your intention in that moment? Setting a boundary is not a bad intention. It's not a wish to hurt them. It is actually a wish to include them in your life in a way that works. I know you are doing the best that you can right now. Your relationships matter to you. You are important. And yet over time, we get stuck. We get lost or we stop showing up as our true self. We get hung up on the stories we tell ourselves, the comparisons, or feeling like we are not good enough. I'm Not Your Shrink is a podcast aimed at helping you feel connected to yourself, to others, and to live a life that is in line with what matters most to you. I'm Dr. Tracy Dalglish, clinical psychologist and couples therapist. I bring you clinical knowledge and evidence-based research, experiences of sitting in the therapist chair, and being a wife and mother to talk about everyday issues we all face to help you change the dialogue in your life. Let's dive in. Hello, and thank you for tuning into another episode of I'm Not Your Shrink. Today is the last episode in season two, and I am so thrilled to share some exciting news with you as we wrap up the season. In just 34 episodes, we have reached 100,000 downloads, and it is such a thrill to be able to share this with you as part of this community. You are showing up here, sharing the episodes with your friends, your partner, your clients, your mom. Um, And truly, you being part of this community is what has helped me to reach such a milestone. So thank you for being part of this space with me. One of the most powerful things I have learned shifting into this creative space of taking my expertise and knowledge outside of the therapy room is really learning what it means to rest. There's this beautiful quote that talks about how we don't expect a flower to bloom all year long. So why would we expect ourselves? And I find in the summer months when I can find more rest that I feel more creative and I can work on other projects. So I'll wrap up this season and I will be back in the fall with more amazing guests and topics on the podcast. As always, please join me on Instagram at dr.tracyd. I'm also on Facebook, Dr. Tracy D and send me a message, say hello, or let me know what you want to see on the podcast. Before going into today's episode, I want to tell you about my online program, Be Connected. One of the most common difficulties I hear from the women in this community is that they are struggling to communicate and feel disconnected from their partner. So I created Be Connected for women to teach you the skills and tools you need so you can start sharing your feelings and needs deal with that tricky feeling of resentment and anger in your relationship and improve your intimacy. Each month, there's a monthly lesson with me, relationship expert and couples therapist, where I teach you the key skills that you need to change what is happening in your relationship. This will help you share your feelings and needs, solve everyday problems by effectively communicating with your partner and rebuilding that connection. Each month, I also provide you with a guide to go with the lesson because I know people learn in different ways. And the best part is that I'm with you. We have a live Q&A each month so that your questions are answered. And there is a collective of women who are waiting to support you when you join us. Let's go into today's episode. Today is different from my previous episodes as I will be answering your questions. And it's kind of fun to be doing this because I'm normally doing this in my Be Connected space. So I reached out to my Instagram community a few weeks ago and you sent me your questions. I've picked some of the most common ones that I get asked that often show up in my DM. So while your question may not be answered, I want you to know that the information I'm sharing might be helpful for some of the things that you are experiencing. I need to emphasize that this is not therapy and that this is for educational purposes only. The answers to these questions are similar to what you would read in a Dear Abby column in a magazine or a newspaper. So if you are struggling with one of these issues, please reach out to a licensed mental health care provider to help support you and start making changes. 
Alicia asks, why do I need constant reassurance from my partner? Constant anticipation, hoping today will be the day my needs are met. Then they are not met. I fall into a vicious obsessive cycle of what I'm doing wrong, confronting it. And then the distance between us grows even more. I love my partner, but they don't know how to show me love how I need. The obsessive need for reassurance is hurting us. This is a great question, Alicia, and I know many people can relate to this, that feeling like they have a hole in their bucket, and so they continue to seek that reassurance, and also that feeling like their partner is not meeting their needs. I want to answer this question in two ways. One, I'm going to look at the self, so what's going on for you, and then also two, looking at the dynamic of what is happening between you and your partner. We know that in relationships, we bring our own individual experiences, our histories, our childhood experiences, our needs, our wishes and desires and perceptions of ourself and also the other person. This is our own stuff that shows up in relationships and our partner brings in their own stuff. And from there, there is this dynamic that unfolds between you two. I teach you how to find that dynamic in my Be Connected program. When I hear someone say they need constant reassurance from their partner, I am curious about your attachment security. Attachment is the notion that we all have this innate need for emotional contact and security, and that these needs are healthy and adaptive. I really want to emphasize that, but when they are not available to us, we have to find two strategies to be able to soothe ourselves and to find security. And those two strategies are like finding a way into safety. And that is, I'm going to hyperactivate my needs, which I'm going to make my needs bigger and louder, or I'm going to deactivate my needs. The deactivation is often, it's not that we don't feel the emotions. We still feel anxiety and stress, but when I deactivate them, I shut them down. I minimize them and I keep them to myself. This is what happens when someone who is more avoidantly attached, so more dismissive in their attachment style. So for people who are anxiously attached, this is more of the hyperactivating their needs. So they might get loud. They might press forward. They might do that constant reassurance seeking from their partner. Interestingly, with anxious attachment, their lovability or their self-worth, so how they feel about themselves, depends or relies on whether their partner is happy or if they're not upset or if there's you know no tension between them or they're spending time together. It's like that being together because if it's like saying, I am lovable because you are good, because it relies on the other person. So if you identify with being anxiously attached, this then means that we can do some of the work ourselves to help ourselves move into a more secure space. Let's talk about some of those strategies for coping with that anxiety. If you find yourself needing that constant reassurance from your partner, I think it's important to acknowledge that at some point in your life, you did not get the recognition or the acknowledgement, or you were not seen by caregivers in your life before you met your partner. So here it's important to acknowledge that you didn't get the caring that you once needed. This isn't to blame your parents. You know, we, we want to make sure we emphasize that our parents did the best that they could with what they had, but instead we are trying to see that we had needs and they were not met in the context that we grew up in. And so moving from here, that kind of compassion for ourselves, that acknowledgement and kindness that we once had this part of us, now we can learn how to self-soothe. Those self-soothing strategies are going to look different for everybody. Some people find journaling really soothing. Other people find using mantras or meditation soothing. One mantra that was recently shared on my Instagram community, well, a few of them actually is, I am loved. I am enough. I am worthy. And being able to say that to yourself over and over and over again. Some people find it really helpful to write it on a post-it note and to put that on the mirror. And after it's been on the bathroom mirror, move it into the dresser in your room. So you are continuing to see what that inner essence of you is. And it's hard to believe that when your partner is upset with you or they're not providing you that reassurance. So I think that's important to remember there that we are looking outside of ourselves to get this feeling. And I want you to shift to looking inwards. Support for today's episode comes from Loop Earplugs. 
For so long after having children, I kept wondering why I was easily overwhelmed and felt like an angry mom. The noise from the kids, the dog barking, and the sounds around me from everyday life. But I now understand that I'm not an angry mom and instead my nervous system gets overwhelmed and overstimulated, which is why I've been turning more and more to my loop earplugs to help me stay more regulated and engaged with the family. I'm using loop engage to help dampen the sound around me. And these loop earplugs allow me to still be with every beat and conversation. I still hear Greg. I can still hear the kids. I love that they are so comfortable and they come with eight silicone ear tips to ensure the right fit for you. The best part for me is that I take them everywhere with me. They are proving the test of time and not to mention they're stylish in my ears. Plus, we love the kids versions, which we've been able to take to the movies for our kids. I'm so excited that Loop Earplugs is offering you, my community, a discount so that you too can tackle that overstimulation while still being engaged with the activities and people you love. Visit loopearplugs.com and use my code Loop times Dr. Tracy for 10% off your order. That's L-O-O-P-X-D-R-T-R-A-C-Y for 10% off your order. Support for today's episode comes from Cozy Earth. You know I am all about caring for ourselves, especially in these busy years with our young kids. We are pulled in so many directions, but I think it's so important for us to find ways to nurture ourselves that require no additional time from us. I should probably let you in on one of my favorite things to do to look after me, and that is to get a good night's sleep on amazing sheets. I am beyond thrilled to bring you Cozy Earth's luxurious bedding products with an exclusive Mother's Day offer just for my listeners. We've got a code. It's SHRINK, S-H-R-I-N-K, for 35% off at CozyEarth.com. Now, I didn't believe it until I tried them, but I firmly stand by my sleep improving with the temperature regulating technology, which adapts to your body's needs. For the past year, I have not slept on any other brand of sheets. Cozy Earth uses the very best fabrics, materials, and wares, offering superior softness for you to sink into at the end of those long days. I look forward to getting into bed, and we've been loving the sheets for over a year and their sleepwear is so unbelievably soft and it's made with such great quality. But the best part is that if you're worried about commitment, enjoy a 100 night sleep trial and a 10 year warranty on all of your purchases. Head over to CozyEarth.com and use promo code SHRINK for an exclusive 35% off and give the luxury she deserves with Cozy Earth. Support for today's episode comes from ZocDoc. We all know there are things in life we have to compromise on, like the right way to load a dishwasher or whether those socks are going to stay on the floor for a week. Okay, in all seriousness, but when it comes to your mental health, there is no compromise. So we don't need to go back to that one therapist or one physician who didn't align with what we need just because they're available right now. We don't need to compromise on the care we need for our overall wellness. Instead, this is where ZocDoc comes in. This is a place where you can find and book hundreds of types of doctors, including therapists, psychologists, and psychiatrists. And you can find someone who will make you feel comfortable, listen to you, and prioritize your well-being. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare hundreds of types of patient-reviewed in-network doctors, including mental health providers, and instantly book appointments with them online. You can search by location, availability, and insurance. Go to ZocDoc.com I-N-Y-S and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated doctor today. If I needed this app, this is one that I would be going to. That's zocdoccom slash I-N-Y-S and get the care that you need today. Okay. What are some of those other strategies? Identifying what your triggers are. So when we are anxiously attached, the trigger that can stimulate that anxiety is almost like there's a distance between us. There's a disconnect for some people that we haven't spent time together, or it might be that your partner has a different opinion from you. They've expressed something different, not necessarily bad, but different. And so it's almost like when I take my two hands together, there's like a separation between the two and that becomes uncomfortable. So identifying what those triggers are for you will be really important. So then you can start using some of these strategies to help you. 
I think it's so important to shift into a space of self-compassion. I often hear, and even Alicia, when I look at this message from you, that I often hear from people who go into this anxiety space, they say things like, oh, I'm so stupid. I can't believe I'm like doing this reassurance thing again. Why do I keep doing this? Or they'll say things like, okay, can you just get over this reassurance stuff already? Like, let's move on. And that criticism tends to keep us stuck. So instead, shifting into self-compassion. Kristen Neff does some beautiful work around self-compassion, and she says there are three things that we need. First, acknowledge this moment of suffering. You might say something like, in this moment, I am struggling, or this is a moment of suffering. This is one of those painful moments. That's the first piece. The second piece is to shift into acknowledging that suffering is part of the human conditioning human condition rather. What I like to say is I am not alone in this pain or others feel this pain, or it might just be like struggling is part of being human. Now that third piece is really important. And that is somehow offering yourself kindness and compassion. When I'm sitting here recording this, I am continuously touching on my heart. This is a space I go to. I place my hand on my heart and I will say some kind of kind and compassionate statement. And if you find yourself struggling to say this to yourself, ask yourself, what would I say to a dear friend? You wouldn't say to your friend, okay, come on, Tracy, time to get over this. No, you would say something like, Tracy, I'm struggling in this moment and you are learning to be kind to yourself. You are learning to ride this wave of reassurance seeking. You are, you are lovable. You can accept yourself. I recently posted on Instagram about ways to realign with your securely attached self. It came from my last podcast episode with Dr. Morgan Anderson, and it was such a key piece to remind ourselves what it is that we can do in those moments so we can start taking a deep breath, slowing our breathing down when we notice that we're in one of those hard moments where we want to go into that reassurance seeking space. We can find things that fill up our own cup, nurturing your identity and knowing that what it is that you like to do is just as important as being with your partner. You can also practice validating your own feelings and needs. It's okay to need reassurance from people. That's such a human need. And again, that's taking out that criticism. So here's the piece about that anxious pursuit. It has to stop somewhere. So sometimes we'll create distance as a way to stop, but the challenge is that when we put that distance in there, when we you know, shut our partners out or we don't talk to them about what's happening, this doesn't offer us that soothing space. And ultimately they are not able to tell us that we're okay. So one of the ways to break this cycle that we might get into is, of course, using that mantra, using some kind of statement of acceptance for you, but it could also be about sharing to your partner, letting your partner know, hey, I'm in this space of really needing reassurance and I need you to just tell me that I matter to you. Would you be able to do that right now? And you can see here that I'm not focusing on them, that they're not doing something for me. I'm being really clear and specific. I'm struggling in this moment. Can you see my struggle? Let's talk about the dynamic piece. Now, sometimes what's happening is that we feel insecure in our relationship because our partner is actually not emotionally available for us, or they are actually rejecting. And so it would make sense that you feel that way. And I think it's really important in our relationships if we ask ourselves, am I normally somebody who goes into this insecure space? Now, I can remember before meeting my partner, I had this relationship where every, the, the, you know, I wasn't normally someone who went into this insecure, um, anxious pursuit. And being connected with this individual, I was constantly doubting myself, questioning what was going on, questioning my own worth. And that was a sign for me that somehow there was this dynamic between us that I was being pulled into this interpersonal dynamic that wasn't truly who I am. And I had to look at that. And I, I ended up acknowledging that it wasn't the right relationship for me. So I think that's important to acknowledge is that, is this me or am I being pulled into something here? 
Now, when we think of the relationship, oftentimes our partners don't know how to show us love. Sometimes it's not because they don't want to, but it might be because of their own upbringing, their own needs and wishes for how they like to show love. And it also might be in part due to uh, struggling in their communication. A great place to start here is by having you both complete the love languages quiz and use the results as a talking point. You can talk about those top three ways that you like to receive love. And the goal here is to have a conversation, not to point out the things that your partner is not doing, but rather to help become curious with each other and to help understand that here is what feels good for me. And here's what feels good for you. How could we do this together? Now, one of the other things that really comes up here is how do we talk about our feelings and needs? And commonly what I see happening is that we talk about our needs and state things that we don't want. So we'll say things like, you're always on your phone. When you say things like that, I don't actually know what you want or need. Or if you say, you don't reassure me again, I don't know what that need is. And so we don't state our needs. We state our needs in the negative, or we are vague. We might be vague as in like, well, we never spend time together. I want to spend time together. What does that look like? So in order to help our partners meet our needs, we need to be specific And we need to talk about the positive need and wish. And so something specific, I like to use the question, if I were a fly on the wall, what would I see you guys doing? What would that look like for you? Is it that you're spending uninterrupted time on the couch? It's 20 minutes on a Tuesday night, Tuesday, because you're not tired and exhausted on Friday and Saturday, but you are sitting together and you're talking and sharing about each other's day. That would be something really specific that I could see you guys doing. And then that positive need is I need time together. I need 20 minutes of time together. I need a date where we are out of the house, just the two of us, or it might even be really specific around that emotional need. I need you to tell me that you love me in this moment. Could you offer that for me in this moment? That would be really specific. And sometimes I'll have partners rebuff that and say, so hang on, you just want me to tell you right now, I love you and that will work. (laughs) And yes, sometimes that is simply all that it is that we need in that moment. Let's move on to a question from Alana. Alana asks how to move out of the parentification role she entered as a kid. There was trauma in the family with a sibling and the parents were always struggling to deal with the sibling and she hopped into the helper comforter mode and emotionally got stuck there. She says, I'm in my late twenties trying to have good boundaries, but these changes in our relationship feel like I'm betraying them hurt for me too. And I don't even know what a healthy adult to adult parent child relationship should be like. In other words, how do normal people act towards parents and how can I manage the emotional pain of making changes? Parentification is such an important topic for us to discuss. And from my experience, many of my clients have actually never really put words to their experience. And it is incredibly powerful for us to label that Uh, in our sessions together. What does it mean to be the parentified child? It means that as a child, you felt like you had to step into a parenting role. In some way, you were forced to grow up faster. You might've had to look after other siblings because there was a lot of conflict in the home. Or maybe you also felt like somehow you had to navigate that conflict and be in charge or be a moderator for your parents' emotions. And essentially you were put in developmentally inappropriate situations. What are some of the signs that we might see today if you were someone who was parentified as a child? Some of those signs might be things like not making space for your own feelings and maybe even having a hard time identifying what your feelings and needs are. And this would be because as a child, there wasn't any space for you to talk about and to process and to share your feelings and needs. You might feel like you always have to be the responsible one, or you're always feeling responsible for events that are happening that are outside of your control or responsible for other 
people's actions and feelings. You might also feel like you have to be the caregiver all of the time, or you become the problem solver for other people's issues. You might find that it's hard to play and to have fun. You might also feel like there is a need for control or that you need to be in charge and that you also can't complain or voice your needs. This list is not exhaustive. These are just some of the key things that I see in the clients that I work with. Now, here's the thing. When it comes to our coping strategies, I think it's incredibly important to acknowledge that we learned the things we did growing up as safety strategies. These were ways to keep us safe. And so today, when you use these strategies, there is a benefit to them. You are a natural caregiver. You are responsible for things. And you have probably received a lot of feedback for this way of being. Now, there is a cost to being in this role. And that is that you don't identify your own feelings and needs that you might overtake responsibility for things that are not yours to be responsible for. Or you might also find these familiar patterns happening over and over again in your relationship. A familiar pattern, for example, could be that you try and try in a relationship, you continue to give and rescue other people when they get into difficulties, but then feel like no one is there for you. And by continuing to rescue someone else, you are continuing to reinforce that in order to be loved, I have to give to others. And that the moment you do not give to others, you might feel them pull away and you might feel anxious and uncomfortable. Now, the key here is that this strategy helped you to stay safe as a child. And now here you are as an adult and you don't need to keep doing this pattern to be safe. The thing here is that our nervous system, your body will respond in the same way as it did when you were a kid, when there was conflict or when someone was upset. And our jobs now as adults are to learn how to soothe the nervous system and to learn strategies to cope today because you are safe as an adult. Now, I know for this one, it can really be hard because we might be in a relationship that is repeating um, that pattern where they might be in the victim role or they might be manipulating you or they might use a lot of defensiveness. And so that role could be really difficult, but I want to emphasize this. And this is a a bit of a side. I once had a client say that they wouldn't be able to manage all of the responsibilities in life if they left their toxic marriage. And this was coming from that place of fear and needing to stay safe, staying in a familiar pattern of caregiving of the other person. And I had the therapeutic relationship with this client to be able to say this. And I said, yes, you do. You know how to do these things. They will be hard and you know how to do them. So Alana asks, how do normal people act towards their parents? And how can I manage the emotional pain of making changes? Let's start with this word normal. I heard this beautiful quote on the Brene Brown podcast, Unlocking Us. She sits with Ashley C. Ford. She's the author of Somebody's Daughter. And she says, normal seems like things that should happen and common are things that just do. So I wanted to first say that what is going to happen for you with your family is going to be different from somebody else. And that what's important here is for you to focus on what feels good for you. And ultimately it's so that your family is not stopping you from focusing on your own feelings and needs in your life. What does a healthy relationship look like? It looks like your feelings matter and they're validated. It looks like you can say no and there's no fear of some kind of punishment or consequence or retaliation. Um, A healthy relationship with your family should include appreciation for having different opinions and ideas and needs that you are all different people and that's okay. And it also looks like being able to consult with your family and to talk to them and to know that they're not going to tell you what it is that you absolutely must be doing. 
I think it is important that we recognize that throughout our life, we are in some way separating from our families and that it's normal to feel pain as you create those boundaries and separation with your family. And it's also that experience of acknowledging as we get older that our parents also have flaws and they're humans and there might be things about them that we no longer like or respect about them. And that's okay. So here are some questions that you might ask yourself to find what normal looks like. What is the level of communication that I want to have with my family? How much do I wish to share with them? And the reason why I want to ask you these questions is because it really does depend on who your family is and if they are able to have that open communication with you. The next question, how often do I want to see my family? What would feel good for me? Not what they tell me I should be doing, but what would feel really good for me? And one of the ways you could start to navigate this is that if you are hanging out with your family and you notice that you weren't irritable before, but now you are irritable, or maybe even before seeing your family, you start to feel that irritability that wasn't showing up there, or you feel frustrated or resentment. Those might be signs that you are doing things not for yourself, but rather doing it for somebody else and for something that is giving you something. If you are moving into that people-pleasing and caregiving behavior. So how often do you want to see your family? Some people might say they appreciate once a month. Some people say multiple times a week, and this is truly what is going to feel good for you and in your context. The next question, do I share things with my family out of a way for connection, or do I share things in hopes of seeking their approval? And what's key as adults is we want to move away from approval seeking or people pleasing or caregiving. And the next one, if I don't have the energy, can I freely say no? This is really important in our adult relationships. So what can you start to do? First, you need to start bringing awareness to this pattern. What happens inside of you when you see other people struggle? What leads you to jump into that caregiving role? And this will take time because you likely have learned to shut down your feelings and needs. And so you'll want to ask yourself some questions like what feelings and thoughts or sensations are happening inside of me when I feel the urge to take over and to get really curious and slow that down. You'll want to start to recognize your triggers. What do others do that lead you to be in that caregiving role? Is it when you say no and then feel uncomfortable? So that's going to be really important is identify what those triggers are because once you know what they are, you can then start putting in some coping strategies to help you with that really hard feeling. Here's the thing. We all feel uncomfortable feelings. And the choice we have to make is what am I going to do in that uncomfortable feeling? Am I going to sit with it and ride the wave and trust like any emotion, the ride, the uh, wave is going to reach this peak, go into the shore and move out. Or am I going to change my mind to not feel uncomfortable and just go and do what they, what they want me to because other people are upset. I think that is really important. An analogy I've been using in sessions recently around getting stuck in our thoughts and in our mind is this analogy like you are sitting in the shoreline. It's a really wavy day at the beach and you are actually sitting in the water. And when you're in the water, the waves are crashing against you and kind of bumping you back and forth. And that is like you being caught in your mind and in your feelings. I'm awful. I said, no, what will they think of me? Oh, I'm doing this again. I, I need to make sure that's what our mind is doing. Can you imagine standing up, standing up as you are in the shoreline there and the waves are coming and they're hitting your ankles because those thoughts and feelings are still there, but we're saying, I can see the waves. I can feel them and they're not rocking me around. I can make a choice here to now engage with other people, to watch one of my favorite shows, to go for a walk because the waves aren't crashing me around. All right, now here's the other piece is learning what your boundaries are. And I love the question of what are you responsible for? Boundaries are not about excluding other people. It is about 
our needs and ultimately including the people that we love in a way that feels good for us. And we have to start from a place of understanding that boundaries are not about pleasing other people. It's not about ensuring that they are happy, but that it is for us. And you're not responsible for if your family is upset about things. I had this really interesting conversation with my colleagues recently around intentions and when we hurt someone's feelings. So here's the thing. When you express a boundary to someone, they might be upset about it. And, and absolutely, they, ha- they have a right to feel their upset feelings. And if they say something like, you're being mean, you're hurting me. Here's what I want you to remember. What is your intention in that moment? Setting a boundary is not a bad intention. It's not a wish to hurt them. It is actually a wish to include them in your life in a way that works. So if your intention is good, then yes, I see that you have hurt feelings and I still have good intentions here. And so our intentions is also a key piece when it comes to having that boundary conversation. You can make space for their feelings. And at the same time, you don't have to change what it is that you need to do to be well. This last piece here is about recognizing your feelings and needs, getting to know what this is. I talked about this in my membership space. I had this question around not knowing what their feelings and needs were. One of the women in the group said, I don't really know what my needs are because oftentimes it was about looking at the family and all of the things that they had to do. So I don't know what my needs are. So we really anchored down in identifying how do we do this? And it really is about a willingness to slow down in asking ourselves key questions. What's happening right in this moment? What am I thinking right here? What's the feeling that come up? What is the urge that comes with that? And what does it tell me to do? And we use the example of actually using the washroom and that urge to urinate. How many times do you sit at your desk and you ignore the urge to go use the washroom? Or let's take it to the emotion of anger. How many times do you actually feel anger and how normal it would be to express it and hit a pillow, but you stuff that down? So it's really important for you to start to get to know what your feelings and needs are. So here's this piece around doing this work with your family. It would be wise to expect that your relationship with your parents is going to change moving forward as you start to change the dynamic. It will likely be incredibly difficult at the start. And knowing that they will be upset is a good thing for you to be aware of because then it says, okay, I will put some tools in place. So for example, I will not text them back in 24 hours. I will take that space and time if there are heated texts back and forth. I will let things simmer. When I get a difficult phone call from them, I get to choose if I'm going to answer it or not. And afterwards, I'm going to go for a walk. And being able to talk to someone that you love and trust is really important when it comes to setting boundaries. Now let's talk about managing the emotional pain that will come with this. I think it's so important that we build this space of acceptance for who our parents and our loved ones are, and we don't get to control or choose our parents. And the image that is so important that I like to use is it's like we have a hole in our heart. It's this little hole, and this is a space where you long to have your family be the family that you wanted, and they're not. And You can see the hole and you can accept that you have that hole in your heart, but you can also see that the other parts of your heart are there. There are other people in your life that fill you up and that you can see that there are other things in life that bring meaning to you. And we accept that hole there. And the other piece that comes with this that I already talked about earlier is that space of compassion, except this compassion is for your inner child. It's for that younger part of you. If you have a hard time bringing her or him to mind, bringing them to mind, I want you to get a photo of you at a younger age. Or if there's a loved one that you have in your life at an age that you can remember, look at them, see their vulnerability on their face. And I want you to ask yourself what you would say to them 
in those really hard moments. There's this beautiful exercise that I do in my office around this perspective, taking around going to that moment in life where someone said those really hard things and offering to put your hand on just gently on their cheek or on their shoulder and saying to that younger part of you, I know, I know, and offering that space of compassion for the hurt that you felt. Let's move on to Allie. Allie asks, my partner has a hard time following through on actions. We have had many discussions on how this makes me feel, how this affects me and our relationship, and yet nothing changes. Advice? Ah, This is such a common question, and it is such a difficult one without really having more information around what these actions are specifically around. So my mind had wondered, is this around reassurance. This is around more of the emotional needs and we're looking at those kinds of actions, or are we looking more around the actions in terms of the mental load and caring around the house or with our families? So one of the things I want to start out by saying is that there are three things that we can do in our relationships. So first we can read all the things and we can find all the books and we can go to therapy and we can try to change. That's the first thing. The second one is we need to accept these difficult pieces about our partner. And the third one is to leave the relationship. And for many people, that's not an option. So one of the things that comes to mind here is how does your partner process information and do they process information in the same way that you do? So I want you to consider how information is received and ask if they need help with the follow through. One of the things that comes to mind, and again, I don't have the answer to this, but if someone is experiencing ADD or ADHD, so this is someone who is a neurodivergent person and they don't receive and process information in the same way that we do if we are neurotypical typical. And this can be a sticking part in our relationships if we're not aware of this and mindful of it. So what's important about this is that being able to hold in mind what it is that someone needs to do might not come as easily to your partner as it is to you. We also have individual differences there in terms of how we follow through with things. So being able to have that conversation with your partner is really important. I'm not going into the conversation of like, I asked you to do the dishes and you didn't. What's going on? That would be talking about the the issue. I want you to actually talk about the process of what's happening between you two. And this would be a really good conversation to have sitting side by side. And I like the idea of shoulder to shoulder because here it's not like we're playing a ball of ping pong where we're tossing things back and forth saying, well, if you did just this and you didn't do that and you should do, this is a, let's be a team here. Let's try to work this out together. Let's look at this issue here. What gets in the way for you? Is it about you not knowing what it is that I need? Do they need more information specifically? Are they missing experience to complete the task? Or is there a lack of education around here? So maybe, for example, if it's around one of those more task-related mental load pieces, is, is it around making dinner and they don't know what you would include in all of the steps of making dinner? Or is it something else here? When it comes to looking at the mental load or division of labor, I highly recommend checking out the book Fair Play by Eve Rotsky. She was also on the podcast and her system using the CPE is really powerful because the C and the P often lead to resentment. Okay, so what are those? That's the conceptualization. That is doing all the research, looking like knowing you have to do something, planning. That's actually how you're going to do it. Um, C, conceptualization. P, planning. E, for execution. How that's actually going to get done. And oftentimes what I see happening in the partners in Be Connected is that the women, similar to what Eve found, the women are doing the C and the P and then they're feeling resentful because the E is not executed. The execution is not done in a way that needs to be done. So using the fair play system is a great way to be able to look at what are the things that we're doing in our relationship and can I offload this completely to you? Can you take this on? So I'm no longer responsible for that. And Eve walks through a lot of different ways to be able to do that in your relationship. Here's the other piece around going into acceptance of our partners. We know that couples have perpetual fights 
And when we sign up in our relationship, we are signing up for a specific set of the same relationship conflict over and over and over again. And in some ways, we need to accept that we're going to have those perpetual difficulties. So one of the things that I have accepted in my relationship is that I tend to be more of the initiator around needing time together. And I can remind my partner several times, but what I've learned is that it's not about me. Our needs are different and that what's more important than insisting he become like me and think of the world like I do, what's more important is acknowledging and accepting that this is one of our perpetual disagreements that we have and that we continue to have an ongoing dialogue around this. In Be Connected, I teach you how to do the compromise that needs to happen in a relationship when you're navigating some of these difficult situations. And I also teach you the other important piece here, which is about the repair. The repair is so important because when we do get into these difficult moments of conflict with our partner, we want to be able to repair what happens afterwards and go on to continue to build that connection. Here's something that is so important. In our relationships, a healthy relationship is not that you never have disagreements. We know from the research instead that the masters of relationships are those who can go and repair after they have the disagreements. Let's squeeze in one more question here. This is from Hannah. She says, hi, Dr. Tracy. My husband and I are currently trying for a baby, except for when I'm ovulating, I'll communicate to him when I am and explain that it's an estimate and to try between X and Y dates. The first couple of times were fine, but now it's almost like he can't be bothered. I feel like it's because he sees how hard newborns can be from his baby niece, we're neighbors, but maybe I'm overthinking. I've talked to him about this, but I'm just overthinking in quotations and that in quotations, it will happen when it happens, except he's preventing it to happen. He's mid thirties. I'm late twenties. He'll tell me he wants babies, especially when we're when we've been having a struggle or affecting our relationship, at least for me anyways. It's almost like it's pushing me away because I feel like sex is now a burden. I don't know how to get past this. And I know, Hannah, that this is such a common question when couples enter into trying to conceive, and particularly if it doesn't happen earlier on when we hope and expect it to. Let's talk about first a negative cycle that is related to decreased desire for partners, particularly for men, because I think this is important to acknowledge when it comes to the pressure that can come out of performance around ovulation and conception. So oftentimes, if there is a negative performance experience, this can lead to anticipatory anxiety. So your partner may feel anxious beforehand. And so then what they do is, of course, when anybody feels anxious, it's not a good feeling. So what they might start to do is they might actually start to avoid. So they avoid sex. Now, here's the thing. It's not that we're saying that your partner has had a negative performance in any way, but I'm wondering around some of the societal expectations or pressures that both men and women ultimately end up feeling when it comes to conception. So while it might not have been a negative performance experience, the outcome might bring up some feelings for your partner and therefore they might start to avoid sex. And then so finishing that cycle means that they start to have this diminished sexual desire or they're not interested in their partner. So this is interesting because what we want to make sure is that when it comes to conception, that we are removing the pressure for intercourse and focus on play and fun. I recognize that scheduling during a certain time is important when it comes to conceiving, but it's also important that throughout the month that we engage in intimacy all month long. So how can we how can you and your partner bring back play and fun together all throughout the month? One of the things that I commonly hear is that partners lose that touch just for touch. And touch is so pleasurable. Even if we think about hugging for a minute, that one minute hug releases oxytocin, that chemical that leads you to feel good and bonded. So making sure that you're touching each other and being intimate not just in the bedroom, but also outside of it during the day. And this can also lead to more feelings towards intimacy with your partner. 
One of the pieces here that I think is really important for us to look at, and it's not my area of expertise, so I won't speak to it from an expert level, but it is important to look at testosterone levels. And this is something that could be explored with a physician if you need to down the road. But at this point, some basic information is that a male's testosterone is higher in the morning and lower at night. So if you are saving intimacy for the end of the day, he might not have much energy left. He might not have much desire or interest left to be intimate at the end of the day. The other thing for us to be aware of is that testosterone does start to decrease for men after, you know, I think the age of 20, it starts to decrease. So something to be aware of. One of the other things that we can consider is teaching our partners about the menstrual cycle and that most men may not actually be aware of the different stages within the cycle. And so helping them to understand that that expression, it will happen when it happens is not necessarily true because we have such a small window of when we need to have sex. So being able to provide that education will be just as important for both of you. Now let's also think about what kinds of conversations you guys could be having during this time, because talking is such an important piece here. If you were to share your thoughts and feelings with your partner, what do they say? And if you were to ask your partner, how does he feel about sex not working these first few times? Does he feel pressure? And can you start making space for your feelings around what conceiving means, what it would mean to get pregnant and to have a baby? And that also starts to shift levels from focusing on the, you're not having sex with me during this time to tell me what this experience is like for me. Tell me some of those thoughts you're having. Tell me some of the worries you have when we are thinking about entering this next stage. And When you ask your partner to share these things with you, I want to emphasize how important it is that here's a window of your partner, hopefully opening up and sharing this, that it is not then for you to argue with their thoughts and feelings. I want you to hold space for them. I want you to practice that validation with them of being able to say, oh, I see that this is a worry you have. I understand now what you must be thinking. And you can ask, is there something I can do to help you? Or what would be helpful for you when you have these thoughts and feelings? Instead of arguing with them and saying, we're a solid relationship. Nothing's going to change. You'll be a great dad. You're fine. Or whatever that looks like between you two. Because I think sometimes we miss seeing our partner's emotions and fears here. And this inadvertently shuts our partner's down and therefore doesn't allow them to continue to turn to us and lean to us in their own moments of struggle. And this wraps up our last episode of the season. Thank you again for tuning into today's episode. As always, your words are what help other people find this episode and this podcast. Click the stars on the app here or leave me a review. Send me your words. They are always helpful and always appreciated. I am wishing you a lovely summer. Knowing that we have just walked through the first year of this pandemic together, having you with me in your ears is so meaningful to me. I want to leave you with a few mantras that came up on Instagram this week that are so powerful. You are enough. You are worthy. And my own favorite, you are right where you need to be. Remember, this podcast is for educational purposes only and does not substitute for the care from a licensed mental health care provider. Until next time, take good care of you. What's up, guys? I'm Gabrielle Stone, host of FML Talk. After being love-bombed, married, and cheated on, trust me, I've got some perspective on love, heartbreak, trauma, and healing. FML Talk has become weekly therapy for my listeners, where I give you a safe space to heal with, of course, a few F-bombs thrown in. Fun girl talk episodes, solo episodes that will guide you on your healing journey, and guests with stories that will leave your jaw on the floor. Grab a cocktail and come hang with me every Wednesday on FML Talk.